Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege, this honor of gathering together as family this evening on an evening that you've ordained from eternity past, Father. Your ways are just unfathomable. It's amazing the way that you treat us, the way that you reveal your patience to us, um, your grace, your mercy, your love. These things are overwhelming, Father, sometimes. We're just so very grateful. We have the opportunity to even recognize them and experience them in some small way. Father, we're also grateful for the opportunity to bear your son's good name in this world, the world that's just decaying. We pray for those that can't be with us, and we pray most of all for those that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, uh, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As you know, this is a ripoff from Holy Scripture. Uh, we finished up our 23-part series titled Undistracted Devotion to the Lord uh, a couple of messages ago, um, we received some additional wisdom on Sunday worth reviewing uh, before we close that out completely. So let's begin, go, to, go back to Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, verse 10. I want to just review this quickly, and then we can move on. <clears throat> Psalm 111, verse 10. Again, the message series title, Practice These Things, and the God of Peace will be with you. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. And it's that second line that we focused our attention on on Sunday. A good understanding of all those who do His commandments. You see, you could read that sentence backwards even. All those who do His commandments have a good understanding. They're one and the same. It's the sphere. It's, it's one and the same, if you would. Up here on the board, those who do with emphasis on the activity of doing, obeying His commandments. I mean, that's what our options are when it comes to a commandment. It's you either obey or you disobey. And so when you do a commandment, the assumption is obviously that you're obeying. And the person that's in that situation who's obeying his commandments has a good understanding. That's what Holy Scripture tells us. They're in the same sphere, if you would. They function in the same realm. So those who do his commandments, the Word tells us that there is a difference between those with good understanding and fools. Proverbs 18.2. Wisdom is understanding that obedience is good for self. That's very wise. Uh, and it's interesting that a lot of people spend many years not understanding that one principle, that, it's, uh, that obedience is good for self. Fools, though, reject this concept. Here's the scriptural reference, Proverbs 18.2. I give you one to two up here in the Amplified. He who willfully separates himself from God and man seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A closed-minded fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his personal opinions, unwittingly displaying his self-indulgence and his stupidity. Again, unwittingly displaying his self-indulgence and his stupidity. Again, the previous principle was those who do his commandments. Uh, wisdom is understanding that obedience is good for self. Fools reject this concept. We just read Proverbs 18, 1-2 in the Amplified. Again, he willfully separates himself from God. A man seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A closed-minded fool does not delight in understanding but only in revealing his personal opinions, unwittingly displaying his self-indulgence and his stupidity. Again, the instigating verse is verse 10. Let's read that one more time. 
Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. The second phrase here, again, tells us everything we need to know about wisdom. Really, if you have one basic element of wisdom, it would be this. The wise thing to do, let's face it, the wise thing to do is to follow His commands. Follow the commands of our Creator. Seems like the wisest thing of all to do. Think about a, just a plain vanilla master-slave relationship. Think about creator and uh, creature. The wisest thing you can possibly do, since you're pretty much ignorant, he creates you, you're ignorant, is follow him. Is follow his commands. And that's what the Bible tells us. It's like the basic primitive of life and all things doing, so to speak. So it begins with this one word, everybody's favorite word, obedience. Those who do his commandments are obedient. And the first order of business, as I mentioned on Sunday, really is to learn the word of God. You show up as a new creature and you're pretty much ignorant. You're grateful that he saved you, but you're ignorant. You don't understand the things that are uh, encapsulated, if you would, in the Bible. We know from the Bible, the Bible tells us that only a believer can understand spiritually appraised things. And so you have a lot to learn. And so the first primitive in terms of obedience is this right here. Open your Bible and start reading. Just read it. Just read it. I've, all the time I hear people you know, send me an email or a text or something like that, a call um, or something like that, and say, you know, I was reading uh, John 1, uh, and it blew my mind. No kidding, right? The Bible's like that. Uh, read the Bible and have your mind blown. That's your first order, if you would, of obedience. Take in the Word of God. And that's all he's really been saying. So just reflecting here, as I've shared so many times in the past, and I'm speaking from personal experience, not merely conjecture, um, as the Spirit has pointed out in the past, the Word of God has a cleansing effect on the soul. And I'm speaking from personal experience. And the Spirit's pointed this out in the past. The Word of God has a cleansing effect on the soul. Something we clearly see in the Bible, beginning with positional sanctification. And if you think about it, the fact is that the term sanctify, the term itself, carries with it a cleansing, purification, uh, washing notion to it. Sanctification carries with it a cleansing or a, or a purification notion to it. A washing, if you would. Go to Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5.25. So when we hear sanctify, we should think cleansing, purification, washing. Because what is it that actually washes over us? And we'll get to some other scripture that speaks specifically to that, uh, that thing. Ephesians 5.25. But know this, that sanctify carries with it a cleansing, purification, washing notion. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify you see the word sanctify, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So if we're going to purify something, of course, in the spiritual sense, we're going to get into briefly um, some shadowing, if you would, from the Old Testament this evening. But if you're going to cleanse something, if you're going to sanctify something, there's the idea of being washed. If you're going to clean something, there's always a washing uh, effect in view up here on the board. By the washing of water with the Word. The Word of God has a cleansing effect. It washes us, sanctifying, purifying us. This is why it is so very important to receive it into our souls. Read it. Hear it, for example. Hold on, I got something in mind. Read it or hear it, for example. And we'll look at uh, 2 Peter 1, 2-3. Go there. Go there where I clean whatever's in my eyeball here. Hmm. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. 
Again, the, the verse uh, that instigated this is Ephesians 5.26, uh, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And on that note, we have the word of God has a cleansing effect. It washes us, sanctifying, purifying us. This is why it's so very important to receive it into our souls. Remember the last principle. Open up your Bible and read it. If you want to, you know, I'm not to be weird, but if you want to get clean, you jump in the tub, you have to have some soap, right? That's the idea, kids, right? you got to have soap. <laughs> if there's no soap, if there's not the Word, you don't get cleansed. You actually have to take in the Word of God for the cleansing to happen. You can't just even go through the motions like tonight and show up to church. And you might even hear the Word of God, but you're not taking it in. And therefore, there's no washing effect. You actually have to be present for that to happen. Uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Well, where do you think you get knowledge from? Do you want to speculate? Do you want to pontificate? No. The Spirit's already covered that in the last couple of weeks. We're not to speculate about what it means, how we are sanctified. We know how we're sanctified because the Word of God tells us how we're sanctified. It says the Word of God washes over us. It purifies us. That's what sanctification means. We're cleansed by it. So without the Word of God, there's no sanctification. Amen? That's the point. That's what the Spirit's saying here this evening. So 2 Peter 1, verse 2, you see what gets multiplied? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And so anytime you see the word knowledge, the concept of knowledge uh, especially in the context here, uh, it means you're taking in the Word of God. You want grace and peace multiplied to you? How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Well, you can't speculate about God. You have to actually pick up your Bible and read it. You actually learn about God, Jesus Christ, in the Bible. Again, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Okay, go back to Ephesians 5.25. Again, Ephesians 5.25. Ephesians 5, verse 25. When we think about sanctification, we have to think about it this way. It has a purification, a cleansing effect. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. With the word. Again, up here on the board. By the washing of water with the Word, the Word of God has a cleansing effect. It washes us, sanctifying, purifying us. This is why it is so very important to receive it into our souls. Read it, hear it like you are this evening. Take it in. 2 Peter 1, 2-3, we just read. Look at verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Does he want to present a filthy beast? No, I'm being silly on purpose. Does he want to? Does he want to present a, a bride that's a complete train wreck, that's not purified, that's completely defiled? Of course not. He wants this bride to be um, sanctified, to be purified, to be cleansed. No one I've ever known shows up on their wedding day filthy. I mean, is that fair? I mean, most brides probably spend five times as much time as they normally do getting ready, that type of a thing. So that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. To be holy, if you know, and you should, is to be sanctified. 
That's what sanctification means, to be holy, to be set apart for God's purposes. He doesn't set apart filthiness. He purifies, he sanctifies, he says, I'm going to, set you, I'm going to make you holy, I'm going to set you apart for my purposes, and I'm not interested in filthiness. So to be holy is to be sanctified. To be sanctified is to be purified. Consider the Old Testament rituals. Without getting into all of the details, what we see is the constant cleansing of the body, the mind, and even the sacrifices themselves. There's a whole sanctification process, if you would, although it's in its shadow form. So though they are merely shadows of spiritual cleansing, nonetheless, we see that sanctification is about cleansing. It is. It's about moving from the filth of the self-life to God's glory. It's about moving from what we used to live in to the newness of life in Christ. It's a cleansing process. It's a, especially when we're talking about experiential things. It's about leaving behind all the def- things that defile us, the things that make us filthy. That's why when we go out there, we get entangled in the world, we get filthy, our feet get filthy, because we, we walk around in the sewer, essentially. That's the imagery that the Bible teaches. We're going to see that from Jesus, even. And so we have to clean our, we have to be cleansed. We have to come to church, we have to read our Bibles, we have to take in uh, the Word of God, because that's what cleanses us. And so, although we see all those things in the Old Testament, um, they're just shadows of spiritual cleansing. Um, But what we see is sanctification is about cleansing. In the spiritual case, it's about sin or sinfulness, if you would, being cleansed of it, washed of it. That's the imagery that we find in the Bible, that sin has a filthiness to it. And that even, even even though we are believers, we can be defiled by it. I hate to be gross, but it would be like throwing feces at you. Okay? Be defiled by that sin. And we need to be washed of it. And that's why it's very important to take in the Word of God daily. Daily. So in the spiritual case, it's about sin, being cleansed of it. And I'm not talking about positional. I'm not talking about the penalty. I'm talking about the very presence of it in your life. Washed of it. That's the imagery. Sin defiles us makes us dirty, is filthy. Sin is filthiness. So to hearken back to our message title, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is the practice part in view. As simple as reading your Bible coming to Bible class, taking in whatever form of grace your beloved ministry has given, has been ordained to give you, taking all of it, because that's the way that God brings us the Word. That's how He encourages us to continue on in obeying Him. So this is the practice part in view. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we're talking about practice. We're talking about obedience, reading your Bible, etc. This is the practical side or the practice side of the title. We have to receive the Word of God and allow it to wash over us, to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to make us holy. We must remember that the Word is supernatural and has supernatural powers. You might say, oh, I can just take it in. No, you cannot. You cannot just hear it. Do you understand? We must remember that the Word is supernatural and has supernatural powers. If we consider it merely human wisdom of sorts, like even many unbelievers do, you don't think that unbelievers pluck Proverbs from the good book to make posters? Do you really think they care about the wisdom of God? Do you really think they care about sanctification? Do you really think they're trying to be cleansed or purified? Heck no. They're trying to become millionaires. And so they just rob the Bible of true wisdom, put it on a poster with an eagle, and sell it. For real. 
It's not like they don't. If you ask them, hey, what's, what's Proverbs something something say? They would know because it's on the poster that made them a million dollars. They might have it framed for themselves. But they're not sanctified. You have to actually possess the word of God. Remember that Greek word, lambano? Possess it. Um, if you don't, we call that religion. If you just like to, um, you know, pluck wise sayings from the Bible and then go kind of do them, you know, uh, that's called religion. That's not even proper motivation. Religion has never sufficed when it comes to sanctification. That's even part of what the Old Testament proves to us. That merely doing things that look like the real thing, they never satisfy the holy God of the universe. Up here on the board, Hebrews 9, 13-14 echoes of this. In the message it reads, If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. God, and it goes on, you know that passage, God's not satisfied with animal sacrifices. Those were merely shadows. And if you think you were getting right with God just by going through the motions, you're wrong. That's a religious issue. God is not satisfied with those things. God sees the heart. Jesus had a lot to say about being, quote, washed. In fact, one of his most recognizable analogies is to washing one's feet up here on the board. I would invite you to read John 13 when you go home. But this is the pertinent uh, verse. John 13, 10, part A. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed, he who is saved, in other words, needs only to wash his feet with the word. Jesus said that. You don't need to take another bath, in other words. You just need to wash your feet because when you go outside, and the, his audience would have understood this even more than we would, it was filthy out there, the sewage in the street, the drainage and the septic systems. They didn't have, like, you know, septic tanks and all that stuff. It would go down through the, the troughs on the side of the streets and stuff like that, and they wore sandals. So the feet would get covered with garbage and, and, and even sewage. And he said, you have to wash your feet because you've been out there walking around. So there's a constancy, if you would, of washing with the Word. And that's what you're doing right now. That's what you do when you read your Bible. That's the primitive of obedience, in other words. Practice these things. Well, it starts with learning. It starts with a, a, um, the endeavor, uh, uh, embarking on the endeavor of learning itself. That's like a baseline primitive. Learn. Read. So to put this into perspective here, ask yourselves if the holy God of the universe, Jesus Christ, says wash your feet. In other words, take in the word of God because that's what washes you. If the holy God of the universe says wash your feet, do you think maybe it's a good idea to listen to him? To obey do you think maybe, just maybe, if the holy God of the universe says, wash your feet, you should obey? I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good time to read the message title again. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace is the result, as we've been learning. It's fruit. The peaceful fruit of righteousness of being right. A righteous person is one who obeys. An unrighteous person is one who disobeys. So it's pretty loud and clear. Jesus Christ said, wash your feet. And if it's the word of God that washes you, you should obey. It's just a, it's the fundamental primitive, if you would, of sanctification. And sanctification being purification or cleansing. So even if you're, uh, let's just say you're in a wise guy mood this evening. <laughs> Remember 
that even though he's not here in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who said those things, I am. I am. And I, whether you like it or not, am his under-shepherd this evening on the topic. Go to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Whether that jives with you or not, whether there's some kind of a, I don't know, knee-jerk reaction in your soul, uh, I don't really care. Um, what I care about is that you obey. Hebrews 13, 17. <clears throat> and think about that. Jesus Christ said, wash your feet. We just all nodded our heads. We think that if, if the Holy God of the universe says, wash your feet, it's probably a good idea to obey, right? Okay. If he also says, hey, listen, my spirit uh, authored this, Hebrews 13, 17, maybe you should obey this too. I'm delegating my authority. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So there you go. <laughs> He's delegated authority to guys like me. And not only that, he has given this vessel up as a visual aid. Some of you wouldn't want my job, trust me. Hebrews 13, 7 in the Amplified, Remember your leaders, for it was they who brought you the word of God. What washes over you? What washes you? The word of God. Remember your leaders, for it was they who brought you the word of God, and consider the result of their conduct, the outcome of their godly lives, and imitate their faith their conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider of eternal salvation through Christ, and imitate their reliance on God with absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. So in other words, God doesn't even promote individuals that you can't imitate. He's not going to ask you to imitate filth. He's not going to ask you to imitate knuckleheads. That's what people do on their own time. They look for individuals that have the audacity to stand behind pulpits and say, listen to me. And they have no, uh, no intention whatsoever of seeing you sanctified. They're in it for themselves. They're like the fool that likes to hear them, their own opinions about stuff. That's why they never really go to the Holy Bible. Or they only go to parts of the Holy Bible. Stuff that keeps them out of, you know, trouble, so to speak. So on that note, for example, on Sunday, on the note of obeying uh, me, personally, I gave you some solid wisdom on the topic of curriculum review. I suggested that you do as I often do. Review the outlines over the past few weeks, months, or years and pick up the big picture perspective that you so desperately need. There's only so much time I have with you. There's only so much work I can do with you in an hour at a time. Let's face it. You have hundreds of hours of lessons. Hundreds of hours available to you. Whenever you want. Whenever you want. And so I can't always take you back and say, oh, remember this, 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 and this. Doesn't that develop the big picture? You could probably do that on your own in 10 minutes, in your own learning style. But it takes a little effort. But you know what? That's the practical side of obedience. When your under-shepherd says, do this thing, I highly suggest it. It works for me then guess what? You should do it. Think about it. If the man who actually pens these messages benefits tremendously from reviewing them, it's not like it's not my own work. I mean, I'm reviewing my own work. Even Scott's a review. So I'm basically reviewing my own work in the Lord. By grace, I get it. But if the man who actually pens these messages benefits tremendously from reviewing them, 
What does that say about you, dumb sheep? Oh. Uh-uh. Well, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. You're dumb. And you need a shepherd. I didn't say that. God did. Go to Luke 6.40. So here's a guy who's standing before you right now who says... I'm so dumb as a sheep myself, I have to go back to my own lessons. And then sometimes, it's really true. You, I say, man, I said that. I don't even remember saying, I don't remember writing that. I don't remember saying that. I don't remember teaching it. I am dumb. And it's true, I'm dumb. But you know what? You're dumber than me. <laughs> I didn't say that. Look at Luke 640. Ha, ha, ha. See? Every time you laugh at me, you're laughing at yourself even more. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Hmm. So if I can go back and benefit from my own writing, I think it's fair to say that you can go back and benefit maybe even more. Just saying. A pupil is not above his teacher. But, and Jesus said this. But everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Again, now from an even more compelling posture, I repeat Holy Scripture to you all. Just listen to my voice. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So, when you follow my leadership, you are obeying Jesus Christ's key command to follow me. Who said follow me? Jesus Christ said that. When you follow an under-shepherd, when you follow me, you're following him. Because I'm following him. Remember that. I'm an under-shepherd left here for your benefit in fact, it's fair to say that your devotion, now listen, there's a reason for this. I'm not trying to oppress anybody. It's fair to say that your devotion to the Lord is evidenced by your obedience to this pulpit, this vessel even. Let me say that again. It's fair to say that your devotion to the Lord is evidenced by your obedience to this pulpit, this vessel even. If you have a problem with my authority, then you have a problem with Christ himself. For, unless you want to say that I'm not an ordained under-shepherd, unless you're willing to go that route in your own soul, in all honesty, say, this guy is not ordained so I can dismiss him. If that's the case, then you should leave. But if that's not the case then you must concede my authority and obey and submit. Why? Because that's what Holy Scripture says to do. And don't say, but you're wrong sometimes. Yeah, you know who I answer to? Not you. You know who I answer to? I answer to him. That's how the chain of command goes. I don't answer to you. I answer to him. If I mess up, and I have, and I've, if I mess up, honestly, I tell you I mess up. If I teach something wrong, I'll tell you. It's, it's, it's not a great day. <laughs> but at least I'm humble enough to say, you know what, I had that wrong. I mean, I just threw out. I, I think before the gospel reload in October of 2015, I threw out 14 or 1,500 lessons. Why? Humility. I didn't have it right. I didn't have it just right. I wasn't comfortable with it anymore. It wasn't good. It wasn't edifying to the sheep. So I had to throw it out. Imagine that. After like seven years of ministry, he says, throw that in the garbage. Start over. 
Okay. Oh, and by the way, since you're the nerd webmaster, you're going to spend hundreds of hours on a new website, too. Oh. Oh. Whenever he makes me do a new website, I go, oh, oh, oh. So painful. So if I can do stuff like that, then you can. That's the whole idea. Our job is to get it right. And if we don't have it right, we have to be humble enough to say, I didn't have it right. The point is, don't look at me and say, hey, you're sometimes wrong, therefore I don't have to obey. That is a terrible, terrible attitude. And you won't have peace in it. Because now you're untethered to Jesus Christ. Because you're refusing His authority. Because if you refuse my authority, you're refusing His authority. Because His authority is vested in me. And I don't answer to you. So don't take that weird route some people take. Well, you're wrong sometimes. You're fallible. No kidding. But the Bible doesn't say only when he's right. The Bible says obey and submit. So, on that note, this is what undistracted devotion to the Lord looks like. All of this. This is what undistracted devotion to the Lord actually looks like. Obedience is a centerpiece of that thing. Lip service is never enough. Never enough. For example, if you have a problem with my personality, get in line. I added that. That's not in my notes. If you have a problem with my personality or my looks, get in line. Or the way I dress. You know what? You ready? That's a distraction. It's supposed to be undistracted devotion, right? To the Lord. If you have a problem with my personality, my, I don't know, what, what is your problem? I don't know. Whatever. My head, whatever. That's called a distraction. And you're responsible for it. You're being distracted by things you shouldn't be distracted by. And that's not undistracted devotion to the Lord. You're now letting a man's flesh or something get in the way. And Satan's laughing all the way to the bank. He wants you to look at uh, my flaws or my, the things you don't like about the vessel because it distracts you. Do you see? It distracts you. Joey and I talked about that in our real talk. It's hard for him. He's my son. He knows things about me none of you know. Thank God. He's seen things in me that none of you have seen. I've said things to him that I wish I could take back that are awful. And he knows those things about me. And you know what? Here he is. And he said in his like real talk thing, it's tough sometimes because I have to put that aside. Otherwise, he'd be distracted. And I suppose if he couldn't get past those things, he'd have to go somewhere else because they're distractions. And that's what fiery dots are all about. Wasn't he the guy who said this to you? Wasn't he the jackass that said this to you? Wasn't he the one that failed you? Wasn't he the one that did this and did... Yeah, and those are the fiery dots. Don't you remember? And the next thing you know, you're not even paying attention to the lesson anymore. You're paying attention to the vessel. Some of you have personal experiences with others even. Well, it doesn't matter. You get the whole point. If someone's trying to minister to you on behalf of Jesus Christ, and you're distracted by other things, unforgiveness, whatever, you're missing the point. You're missing the boat. I hope you get the point. Up here on the board, undistracted devotion to the Lord. To devote oneself to the Lord's will is to devote oneself to Him. Vice versa, devote oneself to Him is to devote oneself to His will. But that's what it means. And His will is for you to do things to practice such things so that the God of peace will be with you. Two words that keep coming up, of course, humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. As a part of the why portion of our previous series, why would we be devoted? We established that humans are motivated by love. We obey because we love the one we are obeying. And we wish to be pleasing to Him. 
uh, wives, sometimes your husband's a jackass. And you have to say to yourself, I'm going to obey this jackass because I love the Lord. Because the Lord's the one who put him in head in the family, in the marriage. So even though I can't stand this person right now, I love the Lord. And because the delegation goes through that person who I can't really stand right now, I'm going to maintain undistracted devotion to the Lord. Because Satan's right here going, see, what a jackass. I want to blow this thing up. I don't like it. I keep on want to blow this thing up. I don't like this imagery of Christ in the body and the Christ in his brain. I don't like it. I'm going to try to blow it up. So he's at every angle, he's going to try to get you to disobey Christ's desire for you to obey the authority in your life as a wife, which is the husband. Because of your undying love for Jesus Christ, you obey your husband. If people just knew that, if people knew that before they got married even, I think marriages would be a lot better off. That's my opinion. It's not really my opinion. I think that's in the Word of God, but you can ferret it out on your own time. What I know is that we obey because we love the one we are obeying and we wish to be pleasing to Him. So that was that notion of undistracted devotion to the Lord. Obedience and love exist within the same divine sphere, you see. We developed this. Obedience and love exist within the same divine sphere. We cannot say that we love the Lord and yet disobey His commands. John 15.10, it's a blessing among blessings to abide in this sphere. I love being in love with my Lord. And he says, you know what, if you want to experience that, obey. You want to disobey, you're going to become antagonistic to the one thing that you love more than anything else in this world, which is my love. We're going to be... A, scraping against each other because my, my spirit's not going to let you sit still. He's going to be all over your conscience. He's going to say, no, 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 you are disobedient. No, 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 no. No, you shouldn't do that thing. You should read your Bible. <laughs> you shouldn't eat your 12th pudding. You should eat your, bi- eat your Bible. No, don't eat your Bible. You should read your Bible. Do you know what I'm saying? Put down the glass of wine. Pick up your Bible. Don't say, I like both. No, 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 no. Put it down. Pick up your Bible. Why did I get so quiet on that one? Everybody's making fun of the pudding, people. Don't, go, don't you go near my wine, bald man. Now you're a distraction. See, you weren't before, but now you are, because now wine's in view, and I don't like that. Stay away from my wine cellar. <laughs> Why did I get so quiet in here? Seriously, winos. John 15, 10. <laughs> move on. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I didn't say that. Those are Jesus' words. Now, I didn't get to finish my lesson on Sunday, but I did get pretty far with you. So let's pick up where we left off. Go to Philippians 4.4. This chapter is mind-blowing. On the coattails of that that 23-part series, um, Philippians 4 just... Whew. Philippians 4.4, 4. let's go there. This is where we pretty much ended. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, up here on the board, this means that everything in your life should pass through the divine filter or lens of the word. As a shepherd counts his sheep under the rod, so our great shepherd accounts for every word and deed. Everything. And I made you say it on Sunday out loud because it's really important that everything enters into that realm. Everything. We even talked about being on the toilet, I think, right? Everything. Everything. 
You know what? You want to hear something? You know, I'm, trying to, you know, I'm not even trying to be funny. You can go to parts of this world, and there's no such thing as toilet paper. So the next time you see a toilet, and there's a roll there, just saying, say thanks, God. Because someone's having to do that with their hand. See? Everything. Don't thank Stop and Shop for toilet paper. Thank God. There are some people who don't have it. Just saying. That's what I mean by everything. We, we cordon God off, don't we? It's almost like, oh, no, this is my private life. God, you're, over, you're out there, but, you know, when I come in my private life, it's me. Even my, and then it extends to private thoughts. You know, these are my private thoughts. You know, I get to keep these corralled up over here. God, I'll talk to you about everything else, but I don't want to talk to you about this stuff right here. I don't, really, I don't need you. That's a bad, bad thing. That's called cancer. This means that everything in your life should pass through the divine filter lens of the word. Again, as a shepherd counts a sheep under the rod, so our great shepherd accounts for every word indeed. Colossians 3.17 up here on the board. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever, everything, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do. Word, deed, doesn't matter. Everything. Give thanks. Again, verse 6, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Obey these commands and enjoy the blessings of peace. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Perspective is everything. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's some sage advice right there. I hate to use a secular term, but you know what I'm saying. That's some really solid advice right there. Learn to dwell on the good things. I'm writing a blog called Life is Good. I just wrote it. It's going to come out this week called Life is Good. It's really just a perspective piece. How can I keep saying that? How do I keep saying life is good? I mean, don't I have problems? Yeah. Don't you have problems? Yeah. But you know what? Life is good. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. How do I also know? Because I actually experience it with proper perspective. Life really is good. I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm doing the greatest thing you could possibly. This job's more important than the President of the United States. Period. And I got how many people here? No, for real. I'm, I'm alive by the grace and mercy of God. I don't know about you, but those are that's some that's some pretty magnanimous things to think about. Those are that's what I want to dwell on. I don't want to keep dwelling on what I don't have and what the Joneses have and I don't have. It, it all it just it doesn't mean anything. Everything the world tells you to focus on, it doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It's silliness. It's ridiculousness. But that's how they, the world keeps you distracted. Now we get to our point, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There's our message title. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's where we ended on Sunday up here on the board, practice is the cause and the God of peace will be with you. That's the effect. Practice and cause, effect. Learn to maintain divine perspective, that which is gained from the word by reading the Bible. And the, effects is, or the effect is that the God of peace will be with you. That's verse 9. And the peace of God will guard your hearts. We read that in verse 7. Cause and effect. Practice do. What's the primitive? Obey. Obey. If he says, do this thing, do this commandment, may the God of peace be with you. 
That's how uh, Paul wrote it, right? We read that at the beginning of class. Learn to maintain that perspective. That obedience is your friend. Honestly, it's like your ultimate friend. All good things. You obey, you, 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 you remain righteous, you peristami, present yourself as an instrument of righteousness by obeying, by practicing these things. Smooth sailing. Doesn't mean you're not going to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's not it at all. But even under suffering, you can still have peace. Even under immense suffering, Jesus Christ had a joy set before him. That's what you want. Those are the things you want. You want peace and joy. Who cares if something or someone can make you smile for an instant? Oh, <laughs> you're so, you know, they gave me chocolates. Or they, you know, they said I was beautiful. I kind of am. So it's all good. Those are, that's all vanity. Those are all ploys to distract you from the things that really matter. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. After laying all of this on the line for his sheep, Paul reveals his love for them, the love of a true shepherd. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. That's so beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want peace in every circumstance? Don't you want to be content in every circumstance? Don't you want to be able to tell you? Don't you want to be able to say, say you're the beauty queen. And uh, don't you want to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know what, if I got horribly burned tomorrow, I, would ha I wouldn't lose one iota of peace. If my face, all my beauty that everybody makes so much fuss about, was gone tomorrow, I would still have peace. Don't you want that? Or if, or if you're someone who's really wealthy or something like that, and you lost everything, wouldn't it be nice to be able to say right now, and not, I'm not just talking about, you know, playing that game. Oh, totally, I'd be totally at peace. Well, mm -mm. Sure, you sure? No, for real. Like, that's a fair question because that gives you, like, a nice uh, test of where you're at in terms of maturity. Because if you seriously say, like Paul's saying here, I could literally lose everything that the world esteems and not lose one iota of my peace and my contentment. Then you've arrived. Then you've gotten somewhere in the spiritual life. But if you're still clinging to all those things, you've still got a ways to go. That's all the Spirit's saying. So I say, practice these things. Obey. Keep reading the Word of God. You'll realize, trust me, you'll realize that the Word of God, come on, if you have the Word of God, you've got everything you need. Who gives a rat's about what people think about you? Honestly. Who cares, other than that you're presenting Christ's good name, as we've learned? But who cares if they esteem you for all the wrong reasons? Who cares? You've got the Word of God. Nobody can take that away from you, ever. That's what Paul's getting at. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secrets. Oh, there's a secret? Yeah. Of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. You know what? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, what does John 1 say about this book? The Word was God. The Word became flesh. So Jesus Christ, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. If you take the bread of life, if it washes over you, if you take it in, if you absorb it, if you breathe it in, if you ingest it, guess what? That's Him. And when you have this, you're untouchable. That's all He's saying. He's saying, obey. Take this in, you're all set. You won't be worried about your job anymore. You certainly won't be worried about your stupid looks. You won't be worried about all these other things or eating your next ridiculous meal or drinking your next fancy bottle of wine or getting your hair done or getting your new pumps or getting your new uh, hair piece or getting whatever you guys do out there. I don't know what you do. I don't want to know. But all I know is I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You have this, baby. You got nothing. You got nothing to worry about anymore. I'll cast all your anxiety on this. That's it. Life is good only was that easy. You know why? Because we're all distracted. And the whole idea is undistracted devotion. 
Practice these things. Obey me. Take in the word of God. Wash your feet daily. Then you can relate to what Paul's saying. And this, doesn't, this isn't some punchline on a poster from somebody who could care less about your sanctification. How many times do you see that? That's probably one of the most common ones on posters, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. People having like the end, you know, it's part of their signature and the email. I can do, I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a punchline. Really? Do you really, you really believe that? Do you, because do you know where that just came from? You saw the context of where that came from. I can go with, without, any in any circum, any and all circumstances, I can do this thing. I can do all things with him who strengthens me. Up here on the board. Do all things. Paul likes to use this type of language because it reveals the pervasiveness of practical living in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how you can do all things. Let me, let me see if I can sew that together for you again. Do all things. Verses, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For that not to be some cockeyed punchline in your soul that you throw out at, you know, at parties when you're a little tipsy after you've had your wine, you know what I'm saying? I can do all things with him who strengthens me. I knit all these booties for people for Christmas. Nobody? Nobody's knitting booties this year? What did you think I was talking about? I don't even want to know what you're thinking. Do all things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul likes to use this type of language because it reveals the pervasiveness of practical living in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how you can do all things. Everything through the lens of this right here. This is what he's saying. One more verse before we close. We've got a minute and a half. As I've said for years now from behind this pulpit, please, and I'll end this way, please don't just take my word for it. Do as you are commanded in the Bible. Go to 2 Timothy 2.15, and then I'll close. I promise. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do as you are commanded in the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present. Guess what word? You ready? Parastemi. Be diligent to receive your marching orders. That's what parastemi means. We see it in Romans 6 elsewhere. But be diligent to present parastemi. Same Greek word in Romans 6. Present yourself as instruments of righteousness there. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. You ready? This is a big aha moment. This is a drum roll. You ready? Accurately handling the word of truth. Up here on the board. You can't handle something you don't have a handle on. Accurately handling the word of truth. You cannot handle something you don't have a handle on. If you got nothing, if you got none of this, what is it that you think you're going to handle? There's nothing to handle. There's nothing to um, accurately handle. And there's a whole lot to be ashamed of, especially for some of us that have been at this for a while now, and we still don't read our Bibles. You can't handle something you don't have a handle. On. You must take in the word. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this tremendous privilege, this opportunity to study your word, for the word is what washes over us. That is what your word teaches us, Father. What a tremendous privilege it is to even have the opportunity to obey you. We love you, Father. We're so grateful for all that you do. We just ask for your blessings. As we take the things we've learned this evening out to a lost and dying world, Father, as well as into our own homes, we know we need it. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.